Thank you, Paul. Picture it. Toronto, where I am now, but in the year 2014. I'm in my first year of divinity school. I'm keen. I'm enthusiastic. And I have opinions. I wake up on a Saturday morning. It's a beautiful fall day with sunlight streaming through the window. But the day will have to wait because I have an opinion. I stride over to my desk, sit down in front of my computer and open up Facebook. I am going to write a Facebook post, just me and my opinion. I start typing and the words flow. My perspective is so clear, so compelling. I anticipate counter arguments and address them convincingly. I look at the issue from all sides and buttress my arguments. And after two hours and several pages, I hit send and I wait. As I make myself breakfast, I imagine my Facebook friends sitting in the park, glancing at their phones. My post catches their attention. How interesting they think. An opinion, I had better read it. I imagine them reading my opinion, gently nodding, occasionally sighing as they realize the depths of their new understanding. I imagine them getting to the bottom of my Facebook post and hitting reply and saying, thank you, thank you for enlightening me. Now I understand. All I needed was to have your argument laid out. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for your opinion. It is now my opinion. So I, that's what I imagined. When I finish making breakfast, I take it back to my desk, sit down in front of Facebook, and there is a notification symbol. Someone has replied. I click on the notification and there it is, their reply. I sigh. It is not what I expect. They have not been persuaded by my post. You are wrong, they say. They then give three reasons, showing no awareness that I had addressed those reasons in my post. They describe my opinion in an inaccurate way, showing the same ignorance the pundits show all the time. All my Saturday morning pre-breakfast work has been for naught. I might as well have written a Facebook post that said, what is your opinion? For that is all I got. It was if they merely read my post until they saw the topic and shut down their brains and played an automatic script to write their reply, deepening the channel of their own opinion. So I do not do long Facebook posts anymore. Long Facebook posts do not work. Ibram Kendi is the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist. If you like Kendi's approach to anti-oppression work, you might be delighted to hear his name. And if you don't like his approach, you might get your backup. In his book, Kendi says that he used to have a rhetorical style that would get people's backs up. He would pride himself on speaking the radical truth, but he came to believe that he was being counterproductive. 
Kendi says, what if we measure the radicalism of speech by how radically it transforms people? What if we measure the conservatism of speech by how intensely it keeps people the same? At the time when I thought I was the most radical, I was the most conservative. So Kendi took responsibility for the effect that he was having on people. If he didn't change minds, it did not count as prophetic speech. If he was making his opponents more entrenched in their own beliefs, if he was making people less likely to change, then he was a conservative force in the world, even if that was not his intent. The blogger Matt Iglesias did a blog post on the effect of anti-racism strategies. So how well do anti-racism strategies work? He found that a lot of anti-racism strategies have not been field tested. Workshops get designed by people who have the same level of confidence as I did when I wrote my long Facebook posts. Surely this workshop will do good, they think. The message is so compelling, so clear. But some anti-racism strategies have been tested and shown to do more harm than good. If you're interested in the details, Matt Iglesias' blog post has the same name as Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Now, I'm not being critical of people who use strategies that don't work because it is hard to change someone else's mind. I was talking to our own Liz Scully about this. Uh, thank you, Liz, for letting me share this. Liz said, I don't think you can change anybody's mind about anything. So thank you, Liz, for letting me share that. I don't think you can change anybody's mind about anything. Human beings are a thoughtful species. We don't always have original thoughts or disciplined thoughts or consistent thoughts or self-aware thoughts, but we have a lot of thoughts. Human beings are a thoughtful species. If you want to change someone's mind about something the person you are talking to has thought a lot about their opinion. The person you're talking to has had their own thoughts and their own experiences for 16 hours a day or so, week after week, year after year. And the human brain is wired to have some level of cognitive continuity. Once we see the world a certain way, we are wired to keep seeing it that way so that we don't have to reprocess the world every time we blink. So have you ever tried looking in the fridge for the ketchup and the ketchup is nowhere to be found and you're looking up and down and all around, you're looking behind everything. And then you realize that the thing you are looking behind is the ketchup was front and center right there in front of you all along, but you didn't expect to see it, so you didn't. Persuasion techniques are good when they help you to see the ketchup and they are bad when they insult you for not seeing the ketchup. Aristotle said that there are three ingredients that help people to see the ketchup. There are three persuasion techniques that make a big difference. He called those three things ethos, pathos, and logos. So ethos is about demonstrating your credibility. 
if I want to raise the issue that scissors are designed for right-handed people, I could demonstrate my credibility by saying that I am left-handed and for years have experienced adjusting to right-handed scissors. So don't presume that people find you to be credible. Make the case and have a high standard for finding yourself credible. If you are right-handed and have never heard of scissors being a problem for left-handed people, are you, a are you credible to speak on this topic? You can make yourself more credible by listening to some left-handed people. So that's ethos or credibility. Aristotle's second ingredient for making a persuasive case is pathos. Pathos means feelings. What feelings do you want the person to have? In the scissors example, I want right-handed people to feel compassion, curiosity, generosity. I want them to feel indignation about this injustice, but I do not want them to feel indignation at me for bringing it up. So practice in your head and guess how it will make other people feel. If you are angry, your anger will show that you care about the issue, but it might not help the other person to reflect and change their mind. There's a lot of pathos on social media and it is designed to tighten the in-group bond rather than persuade the out-group. So be intentional about creating the reaction that you're looking for. Aristotle's third ingredient for making a persuasive case is called logos. Make the argument, bring in facts, bring in reasoning. Show that you've done your homework. Show that you've looked at the issue from all sides. Help the person get from A to B. So that's ethos, pathos, and logos. Credibility, feelings, and the argument. Once I learned that triple threat, I started noticing when an ingredient was missing. Someone says, I'm left-handed, so you should do what I say. Unfortunately, you still have to make the argument because other left-handed people might have said other, made other requests. Someone says, I know you care about left-handed people, so do what I say. It's not enough to generate care. You still need to make the argument. A common dynamic is that one person's pathos bumps into another person's logos. For example, you're talking about abortion and one person is feeling a lot of feelings about that. It's a very emotional topic. While the other person is making an emotionally detached case. So these two people don't make a spiritual connection and don't persuade each other. Be careful trying to get people from A to B when what you need or they need is pastoral care. Sometimes you're not up for providing all three of ethos, pathos, and logos, and that is okay. So it can be so hard getting someone from A to B. I wonder if you've heard of how an ant gets another ant from A to B. Ants go foraging for food, and when they find it, they go back and get another ant to show it where the food is. The fastest way to return to the food would be to run with the other ant following in your footsteps, but that doesn't work. When the other ant simply follows, it does not learn the landmarks. 
it doesn't make sense of the root. Ants have learned to pause and look around and learn the landmarks. It takes a lot longer this way, but it works. It works by seeding control to the learner, going at the pace of the learner. So when you are trying to persuade someone, cede control to them, let them explore the territory like ants. And there is an advanced version of persuasion. The advanced version is to start by exploring the other person's point of view. Before trying to get you from A to B, first I want to make sure that I know about A. Where are you right now? Amanda Ripley is a member of the Emerson Collective. The Emerson Collective is named after Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it helps people to live to their full potential. Amanda Ripley wrote an article called Complicating the Narratives about getting beyond polarized thinking. And one of you sent it to me in the fall, so thank you. She says to ask questions that get to people's motivations. When you encounter another person's opinion, go deeper. Underneath their opinion, you'll find their values, their interests, their experiences. Go deeper and go deeper still. Ask them, how did you come to your current beliefs? And listen and explore. Daniel Dennett is a cognitive scientist with an interest in the theory of mind. He's interested in how much sense I can make of your mind. He says that before I can persuade you of something, first, I need to demonstrate that I get you or grok you. I can demonstrate that I get you by stating your opinion away in a way that you enthusiastically agree with. So take the time to show that you get me. What would it cost you to show that you get me? You might have to try on an opinion that disgusts you. You might have to dwell in a worldview that you want to destroy. If you don't want to pay that price, that is okay. If you don't want to do the advanced version of persuasion, which starts with exploring the other person's point of view, maybe your efforts are better spent finding someone else who's up for doing that work. Focus your attention on educating allies, and then they can persuade others. It's also fine to conclude that someone is beyond persuading. You do not have to spend Thanksgiving trying to change your family's political views. So practice in baby steps with people who are a bit more reasonable. So far, I've been talking about how to persuade others. Start by exploring the other person's point of view. Demonstrate that you get them by stating their point of view in a way that they enthusiastically agree with. Then use Aristotle's ethos, pathos, and logos. Describe your credibility on the topic, generate the feelings that you want to generate, and make the argument. Make the argument in a way that cedes control to the other person. Like ants who are tandem running, let the other person pause, look around, and go at their own pace. So that's how to persuade others. How to help others persuade you is remarkably similar. Explore the other person's point of view, 
ask a lot of questions so that like an ant, they don't get, a, get ahead of you. Be a good Aristotelian and ask them what makes them credible. Ask them how they are hoping you will feel and fully explore their argument. Now debate mode can be useful and can feel good, but in my experience, exploration mode is more powerful. As family, as friends, as, as local community, as global community, we come together with different perspectives. Sometimes our perspectives dance together beautifully. Sometimes our perspectives bump into each other and persuasion is needed. Persuasion is a skill. You can get better and you can have fun trying. Maybe we'll start a persuasion club. And I'd love to hear what persuasion uh, tips work for you. The heart of persuasion is also the heart of our covenant. The spirit in me welcomes the spirit in you. And if you disagree with that, about that, you're welcome to try to change my mind. Blessed be.